Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the People Analytics Podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my friend and senior talent acquisition leader, Andy Lee, to the show today. Andy, how are you? And thanks for being on the, on the show. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Um, it's another uh, sunny day in Southern California <laughs> in the midst of uh, pandemic times. I'm jealous, especially of the weather. It's sunny over here, but it's way too hot. <laughs> yeah, I'm very thankful for my air conditioning for sure. Awesome. Well, can't thank you enough for being on the show. If you could, please give the audience a little bit of information with regard to your background and how you ultimately became the Senior Director of Town Acquisition. Yeah, be happy to. Um, so as you mentioned, I've been at a couple of different tech companies. Like most of us, I fell into talent acquisition. It wasn't necessarily a conscious career choice. I kind of went from project management and very naturally grew into a role at a company uh, called Procore. They're a SaaS company and I was came in to help basically build and scale. So scaling startup companies pretty rapidly has become my forte and I'm happy to kind of take those skills to a few other opportunities recently. And um, I couldn't be more excited to kind of talk through anything and everything talent because I've had my hands in a little bit of everything from employer branding to talent operations to just hands-on recruiting, you name it. So really excited to be here with you today. Awesome. And as Andy has mentioned, she is the, she's been a senior director of talent acquisition for multiple tech companies and startups, which makes you the perfect person to talk about the topic, which we wanted to discuss today. And that is all things pandemic is leading to a fair bit of change. But what we've talked about before and what we wanted to talk about on this episode is how that's expected to affect the post pandemic compensation equation. So obviously the pandemic is disrupting a lot about how we do things. And eventually we're going to get into some form of a routine, but more than likely some of those changes are to remain. Among them, like we've discussed before, is this figuring out the compensation equation for both companies and candidates. So that's a topic we want to discuss a little bit more today. If you could, can you give us a little bit of background as far as what you foresee coming in terms of potential changes to this process? So that's a great place to start. I think like most folks who are in maybe a higher cost metro area, as soon as we all started going remote and it kind of felt a little bit like dominoes really quickly, all within two weeks we became full-time remote and there didn't really seem to be an end date. And the several times that companies put end dates together, they kind of kept getting pushed out as most of us have seen over the summer. I think a lot of us started daydreaming a little bit and going on Zillow, myself included looking at other places we would love to live but haven't had the opportunity because there's not a great kind of tech hub maybe in some other cities. And we also kind of looked at our rent cost as well and started thinking, well, you know what? I could take my current salary from this metro area and go live like a king or queen, um, perhaps in another city or another state, right? Myself included, again, I'm guilty of this as well. But I think the, um, the next thing that started happening that people perhaps weren't also including in that conversation and that excitement was that most companies aren't going, most companies right now, right, we've all operated on the philosophy of, especially in tech, that we want all of our employees in the same place at the same time because that's how we foster innovation. That's how we get new ideas. That's how we build and grow and are competitive. And so in order to do that, a lot of companies based in, let's say Silicon Valley is a really great example of this, have started to become this magnet for talent. 
that started breeding a lot of competition, which drove your market rate up. So an engineer who's working on a project in San Francisco is gonna be earning a significantly more amount of money than perhaps an engineer who's working in uh, Dallas, Texas, right? And that just kind of came from, we physically want everybody in Silicon Valley so we can all develop this product. Well, once remote work really kind of kicked in and we looked around and started kind of realizing maybe that hypothesis of we all have to be physically sitting next to each other in our dreaded open, open format workspaces. Um, once that kind of started showing some cracks when we all had to switch over to remote work full time, I think a lot of folks started realizing, oh, well, how am I going to get paid if I decide to go move to Dallas, Texas? Am I going to continue to earn my salary that I'm making in Silicon Valley if I do move somewhere where perhaps one of my peers even working on a different team in that location already isn't going to make the same amount of money. And so not many companies have come right out and said this. Facebook is unique in that they have. On a, on a call, um, Zuckerberg actually went in and dove in to say, look, if you move to a lower cost area, we will be adjusting your compensation. And some folks who are working in much larger companies, if you go dive into your employee handbook, there may even be a policy already stating that. And so I think that's kind of the first reaction, which is companies thinking, uh-oh, if my very expensive engineers now relocate to a lower cost metro, I'm still paying the tab for that, and how do we want to adjust for that as a company with our, our compensation philosophy? But there is another movement here happening, maybe not in your current employees, but your future employees. So Facebook, among other companies, because they're not alone in this particular statement, have said, well, we're going to build engineering hubs or we're going to start hiring people into um, almost co-located. We want you within 50 or 100 miles of a certain place. So when we are able to gather again, we can bring folks together. But they're talking about more low cost areas. So um, Facebook, as an example, mentioned Denver, Colorado as a place where they were going to start doing some hiring. That brings up an interesting question, though, which is, if all large tech companies start looking at lower cost metros, are you just replicating the cycle of Silicon Valley where you end up driving up the demand and market rates as people are going after that talent? So I think there's kind of two different movements happening. What are you doing with your current folks and how you're paying them and where they're living? And then how are you going to address kind of the short, medium and long-term impacts of everyone flocking to perhaps a lower cost area to hire talent in and what's that gonna look like? Excellent points, and there's so much to unpack there. I think where I'm going to go next, though, is we talked about this a little bit, the impact of the flexibility to the work schedule and the work environment as far as where work can be done and when. I think a lot of companies had very specific policies about this previously to different levels of you know, how being progressive towards that flexible work environment and work schedules. But I think a fair bit of that has also been disrupted so can you talk a little bit about how this is going to affect things as well too? So for those companies that had maybe a more traditional approach, but have now since right, like Twitter straight up come out and said you can work from home forever, right? Taking policies that are as aggressive as that and what that's going to, how that's going to impact compensation, how that's going to inspect, you know, the distributed teams and what companies are going to have to really start thinking about as this landscape changes. Right. So if you kind of take and put aside those two different models I, I talked about first, you want to kind of step back and think of your more general compensation philosophy. There's really kind of three different ways people are thinking of how they pay their employees today. So I'll start with the pay and then I'll dive into the remote piece. 
So on, on how you're paying people right now, um, there are some companies that think of a national band where we say, I'm going to, no matter where you're located in the United States or any certain country, this is how much we pay or a range that we pay for this particular skill set for this particular job, right? There are other companies that most of us kind of think of in that first kind of set of models I had outlined where based on your skill set, the demand for that skill set and the demand for that skill set in a particular geographical market, that's how we're going to pay you. There is another way to do it, which I haven't seen a lot of different companies do this, but if you already have your headquarters in, let's say, a high cost, high demand area, or even kind of slightly less. So San Francisco kind of tends to be a little bit of an outlier. So if you took Los Angeles or Seattle, perhaps, as your market, let's say that's where your headquarters is, there are companies that will <clears throat> say, okay, whatever we're going to pay people at our headquarters, that's what we're going to pay them no matter where they're located. Right? So you can kind of zoom way out and think of, in general, how do we want to pay people as a company? And then when it comes to the remote aspect, I think right now it's too early to tell. There's so many people that are all over the board. Like you mentioned, Twitter is kind of like on one end of the spectrum where they said, work remote forever, we don't care, right? Um, there's actually been some really interesting side effects to that where we're seeing um, RV sales and RV rentals. There's an, an index for that. And that has like, I think jumped like by 800%. People are going out and spending their money to go get that RV so they can, they can wander less and be a digital nomad forever. Um, <laughs> or until they realize they're going to have to clean out the RV at some point. But so there, there have been some interesting parts of that. I, I'm actually really intrigued on how this is going to impact short-term, long-term rental markets as well. Um, but I think that it's going to be all over the place, like I said. So if Twitter's kind of on one end of the spectrum, there may be some more, like you said, traditional firms that did not have remote work policies. And if they're not able to pivot and evolve on that position and figure out what's going to work best for them now and maybe in 12 months from now, they're going to be left behind because firms that are, and I don't know if this is necessarily dictated by size. I think it's really dictated by your, um, your philosophy on remote work and how you want your employees to work together. Because for companies that have invested in these huge headquarters, I would assume that they're going to be probably a little bit more reticent to say, yes, work from home forever, or all of our positions we're hiring now and into the future will be remote or remote within a certain state, or like I said, kind of 50 to 100 miles within a certain city, perhaps if they did want to bring people back in for events um, in the future when we can't have events safely again. Um, so I think that the, the companies that are able to pivot and figure out a remote work model that works for them and what they want to do and how they want to build their company and be very transparent and clear with candidates on what that means for where and how they will work when you join their company and their current employees. I think those are the folks that are going to be able to have much more of an advantage over some people that are going to be slower to make that change and communicate that change broadly. That's a really good point. And I think something that the companies really need to be paying attention to designing and developing now, like you said, to be in anticipation for what's also coming because we're not we may not be there yet, but we might be in the middle of it. And despite where things are ultimately going to land, having that now is certainly going to benefit you sooner rather than later. Because like you said, there's other effects coming as well too. Um, as the market shifts because of all these things that are in flux, being prepared for that, especially as it develops, is going to be, it's really help you kind of be ahead of the curve um, in preparing for what the market's going to bear 
which is kind of where what I wanted to ask you about next is with these companies making these adjustments to their policies and accepting, you know, remote work to a larger extent than they were previously, I have to imagine that's going to have an overall effect on the candidate market as well too. So companies are going to have to think about supply versus demand and where they're going to be able to source talent from as well. Also, can you talk a little bit about that? How do you see the candidate landscape changing as these companies relax their policies to an extent? Yeah, and I hate to use this word because it's we've seen it 24-7 for months now, uncertainty, right? There's so much uncertainty right now for candidates that are either in their current role or perhaps they've been furloughed or laid off. They're not sure what they're going to do next or what kind of job they're going to be able to get next. Let's say you get into an interview process with a company. If that company is not able to be really transparent and direct with you on here's what our remote work policy is, even if they just know what it is today, and here's what we see it being in six months from now, so we may need you to live in a certain city, state, geography, area, et cetera. I think the more that companies can remove that element of uncertainty from an interview and a consideration process on the candidate side, again, you're gonna have that competitive advantage. Because as a candidate, if I'm able to get into a process with a company, and they're not only able to explain what their remote policy is, but also their remote maturity. So just saying like we all work remote is great. That's one thing, right? It feels like a no brainer right now. But then to actually go one layer deeper and actually codify what that means for you and your team and your company. So it may be team specific as well. Um, Matt Mullenweg put together this really great kind of five levels of remote maturity model um, that you can take a look at. And he really kind of defines here's where your company may be at and here's some characteristics of that. So I think the quicker that companies are able to get honest with themselves about what is our policy and how well is it working today? Like how well are, like how mature are we in this scale? And then be able to explain that to candidates, the better. Um, from the other side of the table as a recruiter going out and looking for talent right now, if your hiring strategy has changed to where now you're looking in different metros and looking for talent, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind again that's gonna serve you time and time again is being transparent. Am I actively hiring for this role? Am I not actively hiring for this role? If I give you an offer for this role, am I gonna ask you to come into the office at some point or be remote full-time forever? It's really trying to answer those very difficult questions. There's not gonna be an easy answer, but again, those firms and those companies that are going to be able to put draw a line in the sand and say, here's where we're at and here's where we're going and here's what this means for you joining our team, the candidates are gonna to gravitate towards that because we want less uncertainty in our lives right now, not more. Um, I think, and then again, you know, I've heard many stories from candidates that are getting contingency offers um, or offers you know, that push out your start date and you're kind of checking in, seeing if it's gonna work, maybe a project falls through, now you don't have an offer on the team. There's a lot going on. Some of it businesses can control, other things businesses can't control. And so making sure that you're just as upfront and transparent with candidates as possible, I think is gonna put you ahead. I've heard from a number of, I guess I've heard from a number of people looking for work and or those that are considering it as their next step, but also seeing it across the web as well too. A lot of candidates have been forthcoming with the fact that they the transparent they really value the transparency, the companies articulating for them what their policies are, how they've changed, particularly as it pertains to COVID and the pandemic. 
And one thing I've seen crop up over and over again is, you know, whether or not they took loans or had assistance and what they did with their workforce, how well they were able to protect their workforce, what they ultimately did, the, the sacrifices they made or how they made those changes, how they got through this period as a team or, you know, what, what happened there. So I, I definitely see the IQ on the candidate side being something that they're really focusing on in terms of evaluating how companies responded to adversity when everything was, like you said, kind of in this state of flux. So I can certainly see that companies investing in being more transparent about what they're doing and when and why they did that or what they're expecting, you know, what's coming next. Even like you said, if it is currently uncertain, at least being transparent about that, I think is probably going to be refreshing on the candidate side. It's like, okay, well, you know, we're, it's almost like we're going to figure this out together kind of thing, but here's what we do know. So we can share that with you at this time. I think that will definitely help. Yeah. And I think to that point, because there's so much noise going on right now that this transparency or thinking, well, how do I actually do that? Do I just explain to all my recruiters, here's your 20 talking points on where we're at this week with remote work. Don't think that's the right way to do it. If you think about your employer branding team, um, or some folks within your marketing team, if those are the people who are helping with you with your employer branding, their days used to be full of promoting, here's the cool office perks, here's the view from the office, here's the cool snacks that we have, right? And lately it's been a lot of, here's a screenshot of a Zoom meeting where everyone dressed up funny, right? So there's, there's a lot less happening as far as content that they're able to produce about how awesome it is to work at your company those are the folks you want to engage. Those are the folks that already know what your brand and employee value proposition is, but they also understand what your tone and your voice should be when you're speaking to potential candidates, potential customers, um, your current employees. So leverage those resources to say, okay, here's our remote work uh, policy. We perhaps did a survey of our current employees. Here's where everyone feels we are as far as a maturity model goes. We're going to call it this. Here's what we're good at. Here's what we're still building. And how do we package this in a way that we can disseminate to candidates to our target market that recruiters can reference and point to and say, hey, if you're wondering about how we're handling remote work right now, here's a blog post from our engineering leader on what that means for his team. Or here's an explanation on how we're still making sure that we can um, have an excellent customer experience and how we're handling that remote as a customer support team. So I think that you may find that you have resources available right now who already know the branding and voice part of it. And then you can sit down and say, here's all the ingredients. We want to be transparent. How do we package this in a way that makes sense for candidates? And how about in terms of, so for the organizations that may have been in this hyper growth mode or they were growing pretty aggressively and then the pandemic hit now all this disruption some have some have gone into a holding pattern i will say until they kind of figure out where the chips fall and that, that type of thing which is certainly understandable others have continued to hire because it seems to have presented an opportunity right they there's lots of candidate availability now but at the same time kind of these policies are changing what's the best advice you have for these companies that we're in, I, I know you've been there before uh, with your background and expertise. So for those companies that were in this hyper growth mode that are now facing a little bit of uncertainty, what is the best advice you have for them as far as what they can do now to prepare themselves best for the future? Right. 
So if you're in a hypergrowth, so there's kind of two different scenarios we'll walk through. So if you were in hypergrowth mode and you just had to hit the brakes real quick, you're dealing with a few different things last few months. You've perhaps got recruiters that are a little bit worried about their longevity with the company. So focus those folks back into cleaning up systems, building out best practices, taking a look at your hiring practices and your interview practices. If you've had to pull most of your jobs down, that's fine. That's a lot of really great time and bandwidth to be focusing on making your talent acquisition team better and stronger together, right? Um, now, in that scenario where you had to hit the brakes or maybe you're now you're slowly accelerating again, be really clear on what roles are actually opening you're actively hiring for. Um, there are tags now on job boards where you can highlight if your position is actively hiring, you're seeking someone for that role. Many of us as recruiters, we, it's, we hate the red light, green light. Like, quick, hurry up and hire somebody. Wait, no, we don't have budget anymore. Don't hire anyone. Oh, quick, now go hire someone next week. Why didn't you bring me a candidate? I can't tell you how many times myself or my recruiters on different teams have had to deal with that. So a lot of us as kind of a safety net have posted pipeline recs, and we may not explicitly say that pre-pandemic, but post-pandemic, you really should. You should have some language in your job description or job posting that says, hey, this is a role that we're hiring for in the future. We're not immediately filling positions in the next 30 days, but we would love to still get your resume, your contact information, and reach out to you as the team starts ramping up hiring again. Again, that transparency piece and removing the guesswork from folks, because if somebody is active on the job market, they've perhaps, they're not on furlough anymore, they're not receiving a paycheck, they need to get that next opportunity, it's going to be a huge miss on your candidate experience if they're applying and see all of these roles open, but don't realize that it's not something that's an immediate opening. Now, on the flip side, if you were hiring and perhaps now you've really had to hit the gas and you're scaling much quicker because you happen to be in a company or an industry that's um, exploded because of the pandemic, uh, first, congratulations. <laughs> and second, your recruiting team is now overwhelmed. Because if you weren't scaling at an extremely rapid pace before, and this was just a continuation, if you went from hiring or hiring at a pretty good speed to now you're in overdrive mode, the odds are that your recruiting team is probably a little bit understaffed and a little bit under budget, right, already. And so making sure that you're able to make a solid business case to your leadership team to, if you need to bring on um, recruiters, temp contract full-time, bring on trusted agency partners, make sure that all of those levers that as a recruiting leader you can pull to quickly expand your capacity of your team, make sure you're doing that. Otherwise your team's getting burnt out, right? So make sure you take care of the team first. And then the second piece of it, which a lot of people have pointed to, but no one's really just explained what that means, is candidate experience. So as a candidate, when you're in a market where you're now fighting for the same job with 10x the number of candidates previously, the tables have slightly turned a little bit in some cases, not all cases, but in some, we went from this being a candidate's market where we're sourcing and cold contacting and chasing a very narrow amount of people that maybe are open for a position to now the floodgates have opened. You have to make sure you stay on top of your application reviews. You have to actively communicate to people. I would even recommend shortening any your turnaround times. If typically your team says, okay, we're going to reply to people who have applied to an open job in three weeks, cut that in half. Don't let people wait three weeks, okay? So making sure you're communicating early, often, and you're staying on point and on message, getting them some of those resources that we talked about from perhaps your employer branding team on where your company's at now, 
and making sure that people understand where they're at in the process. It can be super disheartening for folks to go on LinkedIn and they're going to apply to a job and they see there's already been, you know, 1,200 applicants for a role, right? You still want to give that 1,201th person, 1,201st person, the same experience that the very first applicant got that maybe looked really good on paper, right? So just kind of active and early communication. Most applicant tracking systems are going to allow you to schedule emails. They're going to allow you to put together touch points. So building out more templates for your team to use, which could be, you know, checking in, letting you know we haven't got your application, but we received it. Thank you so much. Here's an article that you can read on our team and how we're handling the pandemic, right? So making sure that you have those little touch points ready to go is going to be incredibly important so you don't lose that candidate experience. You're not worried too much about how is your interview being scheduled, what's your office tour look and feel like, want to make sure I can show you the snack wall, right, in our offices. Your candidate experience team, the folks that are scheduling your interviews, leverage those folks as well so they can help you actively communicate at all times what's happening with your folks no matter where they are in your recruiting pipeline. Lots of outstanding advice. Thank you a ton, Andy. And obviously, thank you for being on the show to share your advice with both myself and our audience. I have only a few questions for you before we let you go. And the first one is, are there any resources in particular, perhaps you know, blogs, any writing that's been done that you'd like to kind of share with our audience where they can go to learn more? Yeah, um, I, I try to write on some of these different topics. I typically share those articles um, that I've written out on my LinkedIn profile. So you can find me at Andy, A-N-D-I-I Lee, L-E-E on LinkedIn and connect with me there. I'm always happy to share any articles on any one of these topics that I've found that um, I believe kind of call out a really interesting or new idea. So happy to reply with any of those. Excellent. Thank you for that. And last question I have for you is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? I would love more Twitter friends. Um, so I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Lee, L-E-E -E, underscore Andy, A-N-D-I-I. -I. Uh, connect with me there. Um, you may find some dog pictures and some <laughs> Jurassic, po <laughs> Jurassic Park uh, tweets, but uh, most of it's recruiting related. Awesome. Uh, who doesn't love great dog pics? And I'm excited for, there's a new movie coming out, right? Jurassic Park-wise? Forgive me, I'm not, I'm not up on all of it, but I've yeah, heard something's yeah. coming. It's coming, it's coming soon. I think they're probably gonna push it out a little bit. As you can imagine, I'm sure that's a pretty large endeavor. They spared no expense. <laughs> Perfect, the excellent prep, best way to end the episode. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Andy, and sharing your incredible knowledge with myself and our audience. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for listening to this episode of the People Analytics Podcast powered by StaffGeek. If you or anyone you know is a leader in human resources or talent acquisition and would be interested in being a guest on our show, please reach out to me at sean at staffgeek.com. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at staffgeek, S-T-A-F-F-G-E-E-K.com. We would love to share your valuable knowledge with our audience. At this point, we'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, StaffGeek. StaffGeek helps companies hire smarter, by increasing retention and combating turnover, all while reducing time to hire. They do this by creating a customized behavioral assessment around your company's unique culture. Armed with your FitTech assessment, you're able to evaluate which candidates are the right fit for your company's culture. Start hiring smarter today with StaffGeek. If you'd like to learn more, reach out to StaffGeek at hello at staffgeek.com or visit them on the web at staffgeek.com.